Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can open your Bibles as you're seated to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. 1 Peter, we've said, trying to remind ourselves of where Peter's letter fits in the context of Scripture. We have the Old Testament preparing the way for the Messiah. Then we have the New Testament announcing in the Gospels that Messiah has come. We have the book of Acts explaining the birth of the church. And then we have these letters that were written by uh, different uh, men like Peter who help encourage the church. And we're at a place right now in the book of Peter where there's a transition. Remember we said that this letter was circulated to the churches in Asia Minor, the northern part of what's today is Turkey. Um, it was delivered by Silas, a friend and co-worker of Peter. It, it was sent to, to, from Rome, the the uh, the word Babylon is used as Peter uses that as a code name for Rome and it's circulated among the churches there and this is significant because it was written around the time of persecution uh, when Nero was persecuting Rome so Christians were receiving the brunt of Nero's persecution and he addresses it in a time of political, social and uh, personal persecution for the people of God so as we go to this section in chapter 3 it begins a new section for the rest of the, the letter that Peter writes it, he deals with the believer's response to persecution and intimidation. That's appropriate for today, isn't it? To look at a, a letter written in the word of God to the people of God who are being persecuted and being intimidated by the culture that they're living in. So if you would follow along, verse 13 through 17, as I read aloud. And who will harm you if you are deeply committed to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed. But honor the Messiah or the Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear. So that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for, for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." Peter knows this is the place that these followers of Christ are going to be dealing with this struggle of being persecuted for following the word of God, for being obedient to God's word, for living the Christian life. So three things this morning in, uh, by way of outline to help apply this truth to us today. So number one, we need to understand the place we are called to share the gospel we're talking about sharing the gospel in a hostile world. We need to understand the place where we've, been, where we've been left to share the gospel. And that place is a hostile world. Understand that. Make note of that. Acknowledge that. Understand that this world that Peter wrote to was a hostile environment toward believers. It was a, an organized even persecution against them. We live in a very much the same culture. He says, do not fear what they fear or be disturbed. There's a a sense that Peter borrows words from Isaiah. Isaiah made a statement in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute sweet for bitter. Does that not sound like our culture? 
who call light darkness and darkness light, who make the, a culture who makes a hero out of a person who completely denies God and his word and who makes a person persecuted for taking a stand for even uh, honoring Christ. Psalm 118, verse 6, and then 8 and 9 have a, a great encouragement for us as believers. The psalmist wrote, the Lord is, is for me. I will not be afraid. He's for me. What can man do to me? Look at verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. What's the psalmist saying? Saying what Peter is saying. It's better, even though you're gonna suffer for doing good, to lean on the Lord, to trust in the Lord, than because man can harm you. Paul said in Romans chapter eight, verse 31, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We're gonna say more about this in chapter four as Peter really unloads un, un the, the, the study on, on Christian suffering and, and how we're to deal with that. So we'll deal with more of that later. But I just wanna underscore here that, that we don't have to fear others and we don't have to fear our circumstances. Do you ever have a tendency to be fearful? You turn on the news, oh my goodness. Sometimes I just don't want to listen to it. I don't want to hear it on the radio. I don't want to see it on social media. I don't want to watch it on TV. I, I just don't want it because it, 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 it's just so disturbing. But I don't have to be fearful of the situation I'm in. I don't have to be fearful of the circumstances. Peter says don't be fearful of those things. Don't be fearful of others. It's interesting. He used the word fear there. You know, with fear, there's, there's two responses. They call it fight or flight, right? When you're afraid, what are you going to do? You're either going to stand your ground and fight or you're going to run. And he says to them, you don't have to be fearful. Some of them were choosing to run away from the circumstances. And not only run away from the circumstances, but to run away from the Lord. Have you ever had a crisis in your life? A, a traumatic time, a difficulty, and the first thing you decide to do is, Lord, I'm done. I, I'm, I'm going to walk away. We have had people in this church over the years that I've been here, 20-something years, who have followed the Lord and a crisis hits their life and they just disappear, they just walk away. That's running away from not only the problem, but that's running away from God. I think the best response to fear is not to, to fight, it's not to flight and run away, but I think it's to run to him. Doesn't that make sense? To run to our heavenly father, to, to run and embrace him and say, God, I can't handle this anymore. As Peter borrows some of those words from Isaiah, uh, I think about the context in Isaiah seven and eight, King Ahaz of Judah. Was, was fearful of the nations around him. The Assyrian, kings were, the Assyrian king was bringing uh, an army to defeat them. And so the king of the northern kingdom, Israel, and the king of Aram came together and they wanted to do an alliance with Ahaz. And they wanted to say, we're gonna stand against Assyria. And he didn't wanna do that. Instead, Ahaz ends up making an alliance with the Assyrians. And that's when Isaiah wrote these words. Don't, don't fear what they fear. Don't be disturbed. Don't worry about that. You just need to trust me. Go look back at Isaiah 7 and 8 as he says that, and that's, Peter borrows that theme here. So instead of running away from a culture that is anti-Christian, from a culture that persecutes and intimidates us, we need to just run to the Lord. We just need to embrace him in this and say, God, thank you that you've placed me here for such a time as this, as Esther's book says. Understand the place. Secondly, surrender to the power in our sharing Surrender to the power. So we're, we, we've, we've understood that we're in a hostile world. The power of our sharing is the lordship of Christ. The lordship of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15 now. He says, but honor the Messiah. Some translations say, set apart the Lord Jesus in your heart. Honor the Messiah in your hearts. Let's just stop right there in verse 15. To, to, to honor the Lord is to say, I'm gonna acknowledge your lordship in my life. Newsflash for some of us, 
He is Lord whether or not you decide to acknowledge it or not. My role as a follower of Christ is to acknowledge his lordship. When I became a follower of Christ, when I became a Christian, Jesus became Lord of my life. He, he took up residence in my life and set up his throne as boss of my life. And I have not always acknowledged that. But my role as a follower of Christ is to acknowledge his lordship. It's interesting, in this culture, talking about Caesar's persecution, the people were, were told to say in the, in the Roman Empire, Caesar es curios, Caesar is Lord. And the believers came along, and they were, they were taught to say from, from Jesus and from Scripture, from the teaching of the apostles, Christos es curios, Christ is Lord. So can you see the difference? The culture was saying Caesar is Lord. Believers were to say Christ is Lord. To set him apart, to, to honor him means to worship him. Matthew 6, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. That's what it means to acknowledge the lordship of Christ, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to put him first place. What does your priority structure look like? Have you ever sat down with a sheet of paper and listed your priorities? What's at the top of your list? That's a rhetorical question, I guess, but maybe not. What's at the top of your list? Is it your job? Is it finances? Is it your career? Is it your family? The family's important. I believe that. But my number one priority needs to be my, my relationship with God through Jesus Christ, number one. Then comes my family, my wife, then my kids, then my ministry. Did you hear that? I made some people mad at my last pastorate. I told them my family came before they did, and they did not like that. Because I learned that if you lose your family, you lose your ministry. So for me, my priorities are Jesus Christ first, then my family, then my ministry that he's called me to. And by the way, it's his ministry, it's not mine. What are your priorities? Where does your passion and your desire for what you want to accomplish fit into that thing? The lordship of Christ should be preeminent. Seek first, number one, first place. Jesus also went on to say, you cannot serve two masters because you'll love one and hate the other. In other words, you can only have one number one in your life. Did you know that? You can only have one number one. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, we've used this quite a few times recently, when he says this, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age or this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to prove or discern was that good, pleasing, and perfect will. I am to lay my life down as a living sacrifice. And how do I do that? Paul says it this way in Romans 12, by not conforming to the culture, by not conforming to the world. Peter says, I'm gonna, Peter says in that first point we made, I've placed you, God's placed you in this hostile world. Paul says this way, don't be conformed to that hostile world. You let your life be aligned with Christ. Years ago, I think it was Campus Crusade drew the little diagram of a heart. I think it was in the Four Spiritual Laws. And, and in the middle of that heart, my heart, there was a little throne. And on that throne, they had a little cross. And then they had all these other kinds of things written in, in the heart there, and things like family, job, career, plans. And, and what the image was, was Christ needs to be on the throne of your heart. And then they drew another image where Christ, the little cross, was not on the throne. And they talked about other things taking the, the place of a Christ on the throne. He is to be enthroned in your heart. And I know that that's just a, our way of understanding that. Does Jesus really live in my heart? He, he lives in me. 
And we understand the heart to be the center of our will, our, our emotions, our, who we are, our personhood. Is he enthroned in your personhood as Lord and Master? Someone said one time, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. What's getting in the way? When Jesus Christ becomes Lord of my life, every opportunity, every crisis, every circumstance, every persecution of my life becomes an opportunity to share Christ with someone. And that's what Peter's talking about in this passage of Scripture. Before we get to our third point, I want us to watch a video clip of how not to share Christ in this culture, okay? Evangelism is not for the weak, all right? I should know. I wrote a whole book about it, self-published. Most Christians, they are just good for bake sales and potluck dinners. But I'm telling you this right now. It takes a lot of moxie to grab a non-believer by the shirt collar and throw him in the front doors of a church and say, Hey, try living out your heathen life in front of a holy God that way. It is like holy water on a vampire. That's divine intervention, my friend. Repent for the kingdom of the Lord is nigh. Come to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, sir, it sounds like you're really passionate about Jesus. I am. Um, and you should also be. Okay. Passionate about the Lord. Sir, if there's... You need to get sanctified or chicken fried. Can we... You need to get with the Lord or drive a Ford. Sir... Get right or get left. I share my faith. Okay, that's a lie. People don't even know I'm a Christian. I want to. Again, another lie. I hardly shower, much less have the will to do anything else. Mm, okay. Now, if there was pizza and ice cream every time there was faith sharing, I'd do it. That's a lie. I'm lactose intolerant. Again, another lie. I'm just too cheap to buy dairy. Bottom line, sharing my faith makes me sweaty. Uh, tip number 95, um, use big church words like transubstantiation. Heathens get confused easily, and the more confused they are, the more shame they are. The more shame they are, the more apt they are to make a decision for Jesus Christ. I believe it's a responsibility, no, the privilege, no, the glorious privilege of every believer to share their faith with others. That's why I share my faith with everyone I come in contact with. Everyone, really? <laughs> yeah, everyone. How do you do that? Uh, Check out my shirt. Can't read it? Try this glove. Not working for you? How about this bracelet? No comprendo? Vistazo a estos. <laughs> Driving behind me? Read my bumper sticker. It says, it's okay if you follow close. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> oh, you're my waiter or waitress? I got a tip for you. Surprise! It's the gospel. I mean, what do you want? Money or eternity? <laughs> I also use these tracks. <laughs> so what about talking to people about your faith? I don't really like people, but I love Jesus. <laughs> Scripture mint? Hi, my name is George. And I'm Jorge, and together we're George and Jorge. Right, right. Uh, what we like to do is to take secular songs and reprogram them. Yes, the purpose is for evangelism. We like to take songs to the unbelieving world and make it believable. Right, right. Let us give you a sample right now. Why don't you just give it all up to Jesus? 
That's how not to do it. All right? Let's look at what the Word of God says about how we are to do it. And it takes us to verse 16. Give attention to the pattern of our sharing. It's to be careful and clean. The pattern of our sharing, how we do it. I'm to be careful about it, and I'm to be clean and clear. Look at verse 15 again. Honor Christ, the Messiah, as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Some translations say give an answer for the hope. Always be prepared to give an answer to the hope, the reason for the hope that is in you. Listen, as a follower of Christ, my life should be so characterized by hope, Peter says, that I won't need a t-shirt, I won't need a megaphone, I won't need a cool Christian song. By the way, that song's still in my head from watching it last night. (laughs) What I need is a transformed life and a hope that, that causes people to be baffled. That in the, in the midst of Christian difficulty, in uh, the culture's difficulties, in the midst of intimidation, in the midst of persecution, I still have my hope in Christ. Because of that, they're to ask me, what is the difference about your life? Seize the opportunity. Listen, Peter already described in chapter 1 and chapter 2 the people of his culture. He, he called them empty in chapter 1, and he called them people living in darkness in chapter 2. That's our culture, Right? We have people who are empty without Christ. We have people in darkness. How are we to reach them? And I'm all about doing whatever we can do, doing strategies. We're going to do some evangelism training called Three Circles coming up in the near future. I'm I'm all about using those. But it's important that my changed life and my attitude of hope is what calls attention to the gospel and, and not me. That word defense is the word we get our word apology from. And I'm not to apologize for the gospel, but I, I am to defend the gospel I wonder if we were to take a survey of this congregation, of the people here today, could you even state the gospel? See, Peter says, be ready always to give a defense or to give an explanation of the reason that you have hope. And listen, when people ask you why your life is different, the answer is not, I go to Coastal Oaks Church. Now, I pray that going to Coastal Oaks Church may be transformational in your life, but that's not the answer. It's not because I belong to a certain denomination or I go to a certain Bible study. If people ask you, what's the reason for your different life, you need to tell them it's Jesus. That's what's transformed your life. The gospel is so clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul defines the gospel. If I can find it, I just want to read this to you. Chapter 15, as Paul is trying to explain to them what the gospel is, And I've lost my place where I wanted to highlight that. Verse 1, now brothers, I want to clarify to you the gospel that I proclaim to you, that I received it and I've taken my stand, you've taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe with no purpose. So then he says this, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received. So he says, I don't want you to be ashamed of this gospel. Peter says, I want you to be able to defend this gospel. He says this in verse three, for Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That Christ came, he lived a sinless life, he died on a cross in my place, 
That's called the substitution of the Christ, the atonement. He died in my place. He rose again on the third day to secure eternal life for me. That's the gospel. And then you need to be able to personalize that. I I know that because I have made my commitment of my life to trust him, his death, burial, and resurrection for my eternity. I was talking to someone this week, and I asked them those two questions I always ask. First of all, if you died today, do you have the confidence that you spent eternity in heaven? And I usually get an answer, yes. Sometimes I get a hope so. And then the second question is, suppose you were to stand before God right now, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? Do you know what the most common answer is? I've lived a good life. That's the most common answer. But you know what the answer is? I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I can't live a good enough life. The Bible's pretty clear. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's like, this is God's standard, holiness, and I fall short. I don't measure up. No matter if we were to say, who can touch the ceiling here, the very top? Can anybody jump that high? No? Some of you can jump higher than I can. Some of you can't jump as high as I can. There may be one or two. We can all jump, and some are going to jump higher than others, but nobody in and of themselves can touch the ceiling in here. That's what, that's what all have sinned. We all fall short. No matter how good your life is, you may be able to jump higher than anyone else. You may be able to out-jump Billy Graham or put your favorite basketball star in there, LeBron or Michael Jordan or whoever. You may be able to jump higher than them, but you still can't reach the heights. That's God's standard of holiness, perfection. So I am to be able to clearly articulate that gospel and then take a stand. Peter says that I'm to give this defense for the reason that I have this hope in the gospel. It needs to be a characteristic of my life. I read about a Christian baroness who lived in the highlands of Nairobi, around Nairobi, Kenya, and she had a houseboy from the a national houseboy who was there, and, and he worked for her for like three months. And after that time, he asked her uh, if she would write a letter of recommendation to him to a sheik, a Muslim sheik that lived nearby. And she said, well, you're leaving me? I'll, I'll give you more money. And he said, no, I don't want more money. He said, I just want you to give me a letter of recommendation to go over there. This is what he said. He said, I decided I'm going to make a decision either to become a Christian or a Muslim. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to live with and work for a Christian for three months. And then I'm going to live with and work for a Muslim for three months. And then I'm going to decide which one I want to commit my life to, which religion. And her response was, I wish you had told me sooner. Because I wouldn't have made some of the stupid decisions I made. I wouldn't have made some of the, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been in, in, um, inconsistent in my Christian life. But folks, everybody's watching us. People are saying, I'm, I'm going to make up my mind by watching you. How you live, how you work how you respond, how you react, how you hope in the midst of this dark culture. Well, two things about that, that clarity and, and, and gentleness that we're to do, and it's, it's first of all, if you're taking notes, it's to be with gentleness and respect. The pattern of my sharing, I mentioned careful in the outline, it's to be with gentleness and respect. Peter says in verse 16, how do you give that defense? Do it with gentleness and respect. Respect. People are seeking relationships. People don't go around looking for a church to join. People don't necessarily go around looking for a religion to be a part of. They're looking for a relationship with someone who can make a difference in in eternity, and that's Christ. 
They don't know who they're looking for, but that's what they're looking for. We need to be careful as followers of Christ not to treat unbelievers as projects, to be treated as someone that I I need to, to do this because if I share my faith with them like these guys did in the clip or however you do it, then God will be happy with me. We need to understand relationships are important. There needs to be this respect, not as projects, but as people who Jesus loved. Warren Wiersbe says, when a believer behaves with faith and hope, because the unbelievers will, after they do that, unbelievers will sit up and take notice. When I have this, this uh, lifestyle that characterizes hope and joy in Christ, people will sit up and take notice. You ever walk through a food court and you can't make up your mind? I mean, I can't make up my mind. I think I have something, and I'm, I go by the pictures and the smell, and maybe I want this kind of food. Maybe I want Japanese. Maybe I want Italian. I don't know what it was. You walk through the food court, and you'll find somebody who walk out with one of those trays with the toothpick stuck in something, right? Some of them follow you around. Try one of these. Okay. Man, that's good. <laughs> Where are you? They're right back here. So I end up going there because I tasted that. I think that's the way the gospel works. Peter says, your life should be like that guy at the, he doesn't really say this, you know what I'm saying. Your life should be like the guy or the lady at the food court who has the plate out there with the teriyaki chicken in it with the toothpicks. Now where they they taste that, they taste something of the sense of a, a changed life, a transformed life, a joy of the gospel. They say, what's up with that? Where can I get some of that? Well, you have to go to my church because that's where the only way you can find it out. Now, that may be what you end up doing, inviting them to church, but it needs to start with you share your life with them gently. They're they're hungry for that. The Bible calls us witnesses, not prosecuting attorneys. We're not supposed to hammer them like in the one deal. We're not supposed to grab them by the nap of the neck and force the gospel down them. it's It's to be a witness, gently, respectfully. Let me just say something about um, the importance of how people are watching us. Do you know that people watch your social media if they're not believers are watching you? What you say, how you post. I heard a testimony of a pastor in Stephenville a few weeks ago. And if I've shared this story with you, tell me I've already heard that pastor. You all heard this story about the lady who visited his church that I tell this group? And he said, why did you come here to this town? Because we have a satellite campus where you're from. She had driven, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes to come to his church, and he said, you know, we have a satellite campus there. She said, I know. I can't go to that church. And he said, why not? She said, because I'm a different political party than all the leadership there, and I wouldn't be accepted there. He said, how do you know that? He said, because I read their posts on Facebook. You may, you may think you're making this statement that's going to tell the world where you stand, but be careful about We may be alienating some folks. Just a caution. I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> what I say last week when you say I probably shouldn't say this, then don't. I probably shouldn't say that. I'm to be presenting the gospel in such a way that it is something people long for something that attracts them. Not me, but the joy of Christ in my life. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to draw people to himself. Jesus said, no one comes to me except the Father draws him, and the Spirit of God is the one who 
does that. It's interesting, going through the New Testament, just thinking through this for this sermon, the, the people in there that you would think should have been ready to receive Jesus' message were the ones that rejected it. The people who already had the Bible, already had Scripture, the scrolls, the people who already had religion, the people who had uh, this, this opportunity, they were the ones who rejected him. Who accepted him? The tax collectors, the, the outcasts of society, the prostitutes, the, the murderers. Those are the people who are open to Christ. So I just want to share that to say, be careful about um, deciding who's worthy of hearing the gospel. You're to share it with everybody who comes in contact with you and asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. And then Peter says this, it's to be with a clear conscience. However, do this with gentleness, gentleness and respect, verse 16, keeping your conscience clear so that when they, uh, you're accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. And it's debatable what put to shame means. Maybe that's ultimately in eternity when they stand before God. I'm not sure the context of that. It may be if referred to immediately, they would be shamed in the sense that they shouldn't have. I don't know. We're not to shame people into the gospel, but we're to keep our conscience clear that, that internal judge, knowing that my life is right with God. Listen, folks, how can we be an effective witness? How can we share Christ with people if we're not right with God, if our conscience isn't clear, if I have sin that's not been confessed, if I'm living a lifestyle that doesn't please God? How in the world could I expect to be an effective witness for the gospel? Someone described the conscience as like a window, a window that lets light in. And as the window gets dirty, not much light gets in, and the window needs to be cleaned. And I, th- I think about my conscience that way, that, that, that as I disobey God, as if I don't confess my sin, that window's going to get dirty and needs cleaning. And it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God that are going to cleanse that and bring light to my life. In order for me to have light that shines, I need to have a conscience that's clear, a window that's clear. A couple of ways to do that. Spend time in the Word of God and just be sure that you deal with sin. The psalmist in Psalm 139 said, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there would be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that's everlasting. Just go to the word of God and say, God, search my heart. I want to have a clean conscience there. And then 1 John 1, 9, when he, when, he, when he addresses a sin in your life by his spirit, confess it to him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how you keep a clear, clean conscience. Now, I I thought about Peter being put in a difficult place where he should have taken a stand for Christ and he didn't. Remember the story in the Gospels as Jesus, the mock trial is going on and Peter is there and the servant girl says, you're one of them, aren't you? Remember what Peter did? No, I'm not. He ran. He didn't stand. He ultimately came back and renewed his walk with Christ. And I I wonder if Peter was thinking about that as he wrote this, that there was a time in my life where I wasn't ready to give an answer. I was so overwhelmed by the circumstances of my life that I wasn't ready to share with that person. Yes, I am one of his. I do follow him. I am a believer. That needs to be the pattern of our life, folks, where we're ready always to give an answer. Let's pray together.
Florida. They 